Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. I want to um, go right into the Word tonight, and we'll receive the tithe and offering at the end of the service. Um, with, with my assignment this weekend, I, t- I started this morning talking about the blood of Jesus and how the blood of Jesus is supernatural in its cleansing power. And I want to just take a moment and maybe revisit some of the things that I spoke about this morning so that we can all come into the same page. And I'll tell you why. Because when I first began to walk with the Lord, I knew nothing about God. I knew nothing about the Bible. I had no, no ground of, of truth other than what I began to receive at the church that I attended. And I praise God for the truth that I did receive. And they taught me that the blood of Jesus, that when I received Jesus as Lord, that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross cleared me of the guilt of my past. All of my sins, he took them away. And uh, that was necessary for me to walk with God because I had so much in my past that was standing against me even coming to God. The reason I had never come to God before that time was because I didn't believe he would accept me. I didn't believe God wanted me to come to him. I believed that God would reject me because of my sins. And so I didn't even consider him as an option until someone came and preached the gospel to me. And in that conversation, there was an understanding that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for me. And so I had faith in the blood. But because I did not know anything further than that, I spent the first few years of my walk with God limited because I still carried the shame of what I had done before Christ. Even though I believed that Jesus cleared me of the guilt, I did not know that it was wrong for that shame to still be lurking in my conscience and that I did not have to put up with that shame. I just thought this is This is what I've got to deal with because of all the things I've done wrong, because of all the crimes I've committed before I got saved, before uh, I accepted Jesus, I did those things. And so that shame that had been with me so long, it just continued operating in my life even after I was born again. And when it really came to a place that I understood how it limited me, was when Pastor Steele and I, we'd been married about a year, and we were expecting a child. And I was so excited because with the birth of my other children, I had been involved in, in the life of, of addiction, in prostitution, in crime. I, uh, of course, was not in full-blown addiction while I was pregnant with those two children, but I was still in that lifestyle and still in that place of 
um, of sin and in a terrible relationship. So there wasn't the same joy that most people experience when they're expecting a baby. And so I was so thrilled because I'm alive in Christ. I, I can, I can, my husband loves me. You know, we, we are, we're celebrating, we are picking out names, we're anticipating what it's going to be like when our, our child is born. And then I began to show signs that I was losing the baby. And when I told my husband, I've got to go to the doctor today because it looks like I'm losing the baby, he said, let's believe God and he, he had me go by his place of work, and he prayed for me. He took my hands. He, he encouraged me in the Lord. He said, we're going to believe God. God is able to do. I've seen God do great miracles. I know God will do a great miracle for us. He's going to save our baby. And he was so in faith, but I was not because the moment that I began to, they, when, when I, those signs and those symptoms came and I told my sister-in-law, she said, that sounds like you might need to go to the hospital. You might need to go to the doctor because that's, that's a sign that you could be losing this baby. Something I did not expect surfaced. I thought, I'm saved until that moment. And in that moment, there was shame that had been hidden that came rising up to the surface, and this is what it said. This is happening to you because the life you lived before God. You aborted your last baby, and now you're going to lose this baby because you don't deserve to have a baby. And all of the, the shame of my sins that I knew I was forgiven of, that I knew he had removed the sin from me, but I didn't know how to deal with the shame of it. That shame was still there, and it had not been apparent until I needed my righteousness to work. And I was trying to reach for righteousness, and I kept picking up shame. I'm like, where is my righteousness? I know what they say. I'm, I'm supposed to be a new creature. Where's my righteousness? And everything in my hand, it kept coming up shame. It's your fault. This is, you're, you're reaping what you sow. This is your fault. You did this. That's all I could encounter. Why? Because I'd never dealt with it. I'd allowed that shame to continue in my life. And it was after that time, after I'd lost the baby, and we had to uh, go through that process of healing, and in that process of healing, my husband, of course, people came to us and said, oh, we don't know why God allows these things. And that didn't help. And then they would say, well, you know, God just needed your baby up in heaven, and that didn't help. And, and all of it, I'm thinking, what? You know, because I have no, I have no ground in, in the word. I, I didn't have, you know, I'd only been saved a year, a little over a year. We'd, we, I had been saved probably about nine months when we got married, almost a year when we got married. So I'd been saved two years, but I, I was still a baby in Christ. I still hadn't grown light. I, I still had shame operating that I didn't even, had not matured past, hadn't come to the knowledge of how to deal with that. And so pastor said, I'm going to find out 
And he began to pray and seek God. And he came to me one day and he got down on his knees and he took my hands. I was sitting on the couch and he took my hands and his hands and he said, I found the answer. And it's in John 10, 10. The devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. God didn't have anything to do with this. The devil got one over on us. But I commit to you as your husband, he will not get over on us again. And, and of course, uh, we, we began to grow in the Lord and, and continued in the word. And then when a few years later we were expecting another child and in the birth canal she experienced trauma in the birth canal and when she was born she kept turning blue they would put her under oxygen and then she'd turn blue and we tried to feed her and she'd turn blue and so I mean they brought her to me and took her away and then the next thing they know they're out the door and they're 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 taking her to children's mercy and the doctor comes in and tells us uh, you know, we don't know if she has a heart condition or if there's something wrong with her lungs. We're not sure yet. We're taking her to children's mercy. But that time, I had the word, and I had a greater understanding of the blood of Jesus. And in that moment, we were able to stand, and we weren't moved, and I wasn't in fear. And when I reached for my righteousness, I didn't come up with shame that time. I came up with, with righteousness. I reached for righteousness and I found it. Why? Because I had been in the Word and I had come to a greater knowledge about how to deal with that shame. And so I'm, I'm helping us to recognize the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is the condition a person is in because of the sin or the violation. It is a condition for instance, you can be found guilty. If you were to confess to something, you would say, I am guilty of that. I did that. I am guilty of it. So it's the condition. But I knew that Jesus had dealt with that on the cross. The blood from the cross, the sacrifice of his life, the blood on the altar was to pay for that. And so that guilt wasn't the case. But the shame, shame is the feeling or the perception or the awareness. I'm going to use all three of that, three of those words to describe it because I'm, I'm talking about a, a, an emotional awareness, a, it, but it's in your conscience. It's in your conscience. It's the consciousness. It's in the, the awareness in your conscience of what you've done. So even though my guilt had been dealt with, I still had the awareness of what I'd done. I still had the perception of myself through what I had done. I was still identifying with what I had done and not identifying with being made cleansed, being made pure. And so I said this morning, and I want to repeat it so that we have that repetition, guilt affects the way God can deal with us. Shame affects the way we deal with God. Guilt affects the way God can interact with us. Shame affects the way we interact with God. So Jesus dealt with the guilt 
And when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the sacrifice that he made on the cross, his blood shed on the cross, cleanses us of the guilt of our past. Making it possible for God to have the interaction with us. He's now, he is unlimited in his ability to deal with us. He is able now to come into our heart, to abide in us, to dwell within us. He's able to speak to us. He's able to lead us. He's able to guide us. He's able to to birth his spirit in us. Why? Because the guilt has been removed. But then the shame that, uh, that deals with how I approach God, how I interact with God, how do I deal with that? And I shared with you this morning, and we'll revisit it tonight. We'll go right over to Hebrews 10. I shared with you that as I was doing this study on the blood, that I encountered my answer. In Hebrews chapter 10, it is a comparison of what the blood... Now, if you were not here in the earlier session, I encourage you because we spent a lot of time establishing why the blood of Jesus is supernatural in its nature and capable to cleanse us and to protect us and to work in our lives in a supernatural way. And for the sake of time, I don't want to try to rehearse all of that, so I encourage you to go back and listen to that earlier session. But in Hebrews 10, he's comparing the Old Testament sacrifice to the New Testament blood of Jesus. He's saying what the Old Testament blood sacrifice of the animals was incapable of doing, this is where we have proof that Jesus was capable of doing it. For example, in the first verse of chapter 10, he said that the blood of the sacrifices, they offered them year by year, but even though they they were offered year by year, they could never make the people perfect. It's talking about their relationship with God, their interaction with God. It could never complete their relationship with God. But verse 14 of the same chapter says, By one offering, he, Jesus, has perfected. So the the blood of the animal sacrifices under the Old Testament was just a covering. It wasn't a solution. It was a temporary holding pattern. It was a temporary fix to the problem that had been caused when Adam and Eve sinned. And that sin was separating them from God. And I used the example this morning, just like a person who's ever had to visit a family member in prison, they have limited prison visits. They visit at a distance. They visit under supervision. They visit in a, a, a certain kind of setting that limits their interaction. And God had to visit his family in that type of setting. He couldn't have the real interaction that he wanted to have with mankind because sin was standing in the way, limiting how he could interact with us until the guilt was dealt with. Through the blood of Jesus. So through the blood, verse 14, by one offering, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Another thing that it brings out in this chapter is in verse 4. It says, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats, 
should take away sin. It's not possible. The blood of bulls and goats could only cover sin because the life that was in the blood of those bulls and goats was not of great value, enough, sufficient value to pay the sin debt. It had to be the innocent lamb of God. It had to be the lamb of God, the, the lamb carrying the blood of God. And so in verse verse. 12 of the previous chapter, verse, chapter 9, verse 12, it says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. By his own blood he entered. Now we talked this morning, and I'll just remind you that blood is an entrance from the very beginning. Blood is an entrance to the presence of God because of sin Blood had to become the entrance. So from the first reference to the bloodshed in the garden when God made the skins for the clothing for Adam and Eve from the animal skins, the blood of those, animal, those innocent animals was sacrificed to cover Adam and Eve so that they could have a limited relationship with God. It's better than no relationship, but it was still limited. And then God began to talk to Cain and Abel. He told Cain, if you would do the right thing, you would be accepted too. And we know that Abel offered his sacrifice of blood by faith. Faith comes by hearing the word. So God talked to them personally about what was acceptable to enter into his presence. And then from the lesson that he taught them in the Old Testament... That for them, the very first thing they encountered in the tabernacle in the wilderness was the brazen altar where the blood had to be presented. So every person brought to the altar their personal lamb, and on that altar, the lamb would, would sacrifice its life, the innocent for the guilty, the innocent for the guilty, and that was their entrance into the presence of God. Hallelujah. And it said Jesus entered by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. He has obtained it. It is now available. So by the blood of Jesus, what the blood of bulls and goats was not capable of doing, taking away sins, we have achieved that in Jesus' blood. But then I saw the next verse. It said, If the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Now, let's pull that that defining clause out, and let's read it without it. How much more shall the blood of Christ purge your conscience? Well, that's what I needed. That's what I needed. I needed my conscience purged. That's what we all need. We need our conscience purged so that we're not holding ourselves back. Here's God who sees us as blood-washed justified, 
holy and sanctified. He looks at us and he says, you're not guilty. Jesus' blood has removed that guilt from you. He's got his arms open. He's saying, come to me. You're my child. Come to me. But because of shame, because that consciousness of that my failures, the consciousness of where I sinned before Christ, that consciousness of where I've missed it even since I've come to Christ, that consciousness of shame makes me draw back. Makes me hide myself from God. Makes me limit my interaction with him. And that's where I was. That's what I was encountering. When, when I came to that place where I needed to be able to operate the faith of God that, that was available to me. The righteousness that was mine in Christ Jesus. The, the, the access to the throne of grace to obtain help in time of need. Because I needed that, because I, 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 I had access to it, didn't, didn't help me when shame stood in my way. When shame convinced me to draw back from God instead of drawing near to God. And so when I came across this verse where it says the blood purges your conscience, I needed to know more about how to purge my conscience. How do I, and I began to study and I found that there were two separate applications of the blood of Jesus. And we'll just look at one of them in this session just to remind us. Let's go to Exodus 24 and let's look at verses 6 through 8. Exodus 24, and it's the place that is being referred to later on in Hebrews 9, but I want you to see something specific that it identifies in Exodus 24, verse 6, and Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Do you see? There, were, there was more than one application for this blood, so he had to separate it. The blood in the basins had a different purpose than the blood that was being sprinkled. He took the book of the covenant, read in the audience of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you concerning all of these words. So there was blood that went in the basin of the uh, brazen altar. There was blood that was put on the altar for their sin, for their guilt. But there was also a blood that was purifying. And we went through some other scriptures. And again, for the sake of time, I don't want to have to rehearse all of those. But we saw that the blood was a, a purifying agent. That it was used to sanctify the mercy seat. It was used to sanctify the altar. It was used to sanctify all the different... We saw Moses right here sprinkling the blood. And I'm like, sprinkling? So this sprinkling of the blood, this application of the blood, is what he's referring to in Hebrews 9 when he says that sprinkling of the blood purified. And then it said, how much more will the blood of Christ? Well, that means I need to be applying the blood of Christ. To purge my conscience. 
to purge my conscience. Hallelujah. And that's, that's what we want to look at. I'm going to identify specifically how do we go about getting free from this shame, applying the blood to the conscience in a way that is, is like this sprinkling that they were doing in the Old Testament. If he has identified that there is a purging of the conscience for the new believer in Christ, the New Testament believer, saying that there is an application of the blood of Jesus to free us in our conscience, to cleanse our conscience, that there needs to be a, a, um, a conscience that is in line with the blood that we do not look at ourselves or perceive ourselves after the flesh, after our past, after the errors, but that we come to a place. And if we're not at that place, how do we get there? We apply the blood. But what is this perception that I should have? What is this standard of the way that I see myself? The way that I, I can see myself. And, you know, when I first got saved... Uh, you know, I would be in church and I would hear people tell their testimony. And I love a true story. I love a true story. Y'all, when, when y'all remember uh, uh, Rescue 911, y'all remember when that was on with was Will Shatner and he would, I watched every one of them. I watched every one of them because I love a true story. I love a true story. I like those, those before and after pictures. You know, I, I, whether it's the house that's been remodeled or the weight loss story of this person who's lost this weight or, or a makeover. I just want to see that before and after picture, right? Because I have a before and after picture. If you could see me before Christ and see me today, right? And so I love testimonies and I love true stories and I would sit in church and in the beginning of my walk with God, I, I would sit in church and I would hear different people's testimony and most of their testimony was a victim's testimony. Like, this is what was done to me, and this is how God rescued me. And I'd be like, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But y'all don't want to hear my testimony. Because all of their testimonies was things that had been done to them that they were victims of, and how God had rescued them and healed them of it. But a guilt testimony's not as easy to hear. It's not as easy to get up and tell somebody, let me tell you how dirty and rotten and low down I was. And then everybody's like, you might have got what's coming to you, girl. Right? And, and it's not as easy always to tell the story of I did this and I did that and I was guilty of that and I, I and then this is how God rescued me from it. And then I heard the Apostle Paul tell his testimony. And I'm like, that's what I'm talking about right there. The Apostle Paul. A Christian killer. Held the coats for Stephen. Let me tell you about the Apostle Paul. Let me tell you about the Apostle Paul. Let's look at, at what he said here. 
Let's go to Acts 26. And let's read verse 9 through 11. And go ahead and give me the amplified up there. Acts 26, 9. I myself indeed was once persuaded that it was my duty to do many things contrary to and in defiance of the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is what I did in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the faithful saints, the holy ones, in prison by virtue of authority received from the chief priests, but when they were being condemned to death, I cast my vote against them. He was a party. He was the one responsible for putting them there and then voted for them to die, and they did. People, their only thing for them to be imprisoned was that they called on the name of Jesus. And he said, I put them in prison, and when they were being condemned to death, I voted for them to be put to death. Verse 11, and frequently I punished them in all the synagogues to make them blaspheme. And in my bitter fury against them, I harassed, I troubled, I molested, I persecuted and pursued them even to foreign cities. This is the Apostle Paul. In the God's Word translation of verse 10, it says, I locked many Christians in prison and I voted to have them killed every time a vote was taken. Saul, he says in Acts chapter 8, we'll again stay with the Amplified, Acts 8.1, Saul was not only consenting to Stephen's death, He was pleased and entirely approving. He was not only consenting, he was pleased and entirely approving. Verse 3 of the same chapter, 8-3. But Saul shamefully treated and laid waste the church continuously with cruelty and violence. Can you imagine him telling his testimony in the church? After I go, let me tell you what I, let me tell you about my testimony. They're like, yeah, my grandma was in that group you had put to death. My aunt was in that group you had put to death. There were, it, it wasn't, it wasn't the, the victim testimony. It was, I'm guilty as charged. I'm guilty. It says, entering in, entering house after house, he dragged out men and women, and committed them to prison. That was what he did before Christ. So, how does he say in 2 Corinthians 7, turn in in your Bible to 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 2, because I want you to see this, because you just heard what he did. In his own words, he testified what he did. That he, he was guilty of their deaths. If we had a good lawyer, we could have him found guilty of accessory, at least. 
But he said in 2 Corinthians 7, 2, receive us, we have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. How could the apostle Paul, who was guilty clearly of all of these things, stand and say, I have wronged no one. I've not treated anybody wrong. Because he wasn't the same man and he didn't perceive himself in light of what he'd done before Christ. He did not consider or have that awareness in his conscience of the things that he had done. He had an awareness that I am free from those things I did before Christ. I'm not that person anymore. And I'm not ashamed because that's not me. That's the me before Christ. That's not the who I am today. So in Acts chapter 28, there was a shipwreck and Paul was in it. And he had in, in his... Um, receiving from God, told the people, we should not sail. But they said, we know better than you, and we're going to sail because we, we want to get out of this port, and it looks like it's going to be fine. He had a warning from God not to sail, and they ignored it. And regardless of that, he still prayed for all the people on that ship, and it, the, the storm that they got caught in totally destroyed the ship, but because of his prayer, he said, God has promised me that nobody on this ship will die, that we'll not lose one life. The ship will be torn apart, but we will not lose any person's life. And so they uh, ended up on this island. And I want you to read with me from Acts chapter 28. And I'll again continue with the Amplified. Acts 28, 1. After we were safe on the island, we knew and recognized that it was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual and remarkable kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed and received us all since it had begun to rain and was cold. Now Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, and he was laying them on the fire when a viper crawled out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. So he has survived a shipwreck. And however long they were in the ocean, in one place he says, a day and the night in the deep. So now they're all, he has survived the shipwreck. He survived being stranded in the ocean. Now, all of a sudden, this venomous snake that the natives know what kind of snake this is, and they see this snake attach itself to his hand. And look at what they said in verse 4. When the natives saw the little animal hanging from his hand, they said to one another, Doubtless, this man is a murderer. For though he has been saved from the sea, justice, they believed, was a, it was a false god that they believed in, Justice, the goddess of avenging, has not permitted that he should live. In other words, they're saying, for what he's done in his past, even though he didn't get his just rewards in the shipwreck, 
or being stranded in the sea. He's getting it now because he's got this coming to him. He must be a murderer. And he was. The man before Christ was, but Paul wasn't the same man. He didn't see himself that way, and when he had to deal with an adverse situation, he didn't react the way they expected him to react. They, they said, he must be a murderer, and he's like, I'm not that murderer that I used to be. I'm not that man who threw those people into prison. I'm not the same man who voted to have them all killed. I'm not the same one that drugged those men and women and children out of their houses and had them sentenced to death. I'm not the same man that held the coats of the people who stoned Stephen. I'm a new man in Christ. I'm a new man in Christ. He was free of the shame. What would it have been like to have been Peter who denied Christ? Can you imagine? I mean, Peter, he had such a desire to impress Jesus, didn't he? <laughs> oh, master, it's not going to be so. You know, think of yourself here. You know, he, 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 he had such a desire. And bless Peter, sometimes he put his foot in his mouth. And, and Jesus was always so patient with him. That gives us all hope, doesn't it? But Peter denied Christ and... Even when Jesus told him before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And that third time that he denied him and then heard the sound of that rooster, can you imagine the shame that he felt? It talks about how he ran out of that place. He was so ashamed how he had failed. And then after Jesus resurrected, Jesus had to come and restore him. He told one of the women after they saw him after his resurrection, and he said to her, you go tell the disciples and tell Peter. He, he identified specifically Peter. Why? Because Peter was beating himself up. Peter was disqualifying himself. He was saying, who am I? What can I ever do with my life? I denied him when he needed me the most. I failed him when he was really dependent on me. Why couldn't I have been like John? You know, we know why they had that thing going on. We know that competition. John said, the one who Jesus loves reached first. He won the race. Well, they had that competition, and he's, he's like, why couldn't I have been like John who was there? And Jesus was able to say, John, behold your mother. you got to take care of my mom. And I failed him. I denied him. I told people I didn't even know who he was. I swore I didn't know him. The shame that he must have felt. But I found something in the scripture in 1 Peter chapter 1. I found something in the scripture. We know that Jesus went to him and restored him by saying, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? And so three times he was able to undo the things that he had said in denying Jesus. He was able to affirm those three times. But in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2, he describes... He says, we are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father 
through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now we know how he was able to be one of the establishing, founding teachers and leaders in the church. Yes, the Holy Spirit came upon him and gave him boldness, but he also recognized this restoration and this freedom from shame. He understood the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So how do we sprinkle the blood of Jesus? How do we apply the blood of Jesus? How do we deal with this shame so that we, like Paul, we can say, I've wronged no man. I'm not the same person. I'm not the person who was guilty of those things. So that we can cleanse that shame. Why? It says so that we can serve God. For us to do what God has called us to do, I'll just say for me, for me to do what God has called me to do, I couldn't do it in, in the perception of the failures of my life before Christ, if I considered myself to be the prostitute, the woman who put the needles in her arms, I couldn't do what I'm doing today. I couldn't point people to Jesus and tell them about how he can re restore their lives if I still carried the weight of that shame. Amen. To serve God, to fulfill his plan for our life, we've got... To apply the blood correctly. Not only in dealing with our guilt, but also in dealing with our shame. So let's find out. Romans chapter 10. How do I apply the blood to my shame? And it's very similar to the way that we applied the blood to our guilt. Romans chapter 10 this is how we applied the blood to our guilt. Let's find out. Romans 10 verse 9. If you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth Confession is made unto salvation. So in the same way that the Passover lamb, the, they would take the blood and apply it to the entrance of their door, which represents the entrance of our lives, the same way that they would take that blood and apply it, the same way that Moses would, would put that blood on the hyssop, and hyssop was like the... the uh, uh, it, it was like uh, the cotton strands. The, the, it, was, it was like the paintbrush to paint it onto to sprinkle it. In the same way, we take our words, our faith-filled words. We have to have the faith in our heart. And then we use the words of our mouth to apply the blood to our conscience. In the same way that we applied the blood to our guilt by saying, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, 
God raised him from the dead. He died in my place. He died the death I deserved. His blood was poured out to pay my sin penalty. I believe it. That came from the heart, the believing in the heart, and it was released with the words of the mouth. So before we can apply the blood to our conscience, we've got to believe that the blood will cleanse our conscience. We've got to believe that the blood will will deal with that shame. Hallelujah. Because it's the faith in the heart released through the mouth. We are applying it to the conscience. So let's talk about the blood for a moment more. And I'm going to go in a different place than I went this morning. So go with me to John 6. The conscience indicates what I think about myself. The conscience, what I'm conscious of, that my conscience, and there's a difference between the word conscience and consciousness. And, and they're similar, but we're talking about our conscience, our awareness, the way that we perceive and the way that we identify who we are. If it has not been reset, it will continually report the wrong information. If it hasn't been reset from the old you to the new you, then it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be, it's like um, something that is hooked up to the wrong part of the machinery and it keeps sending the wrong information. And you're like, that hasn't been hooked up to the new computer, has it? It's still, it's still connected to the old computer that's bringing wrong information to us. So let's connect it to the new me, the new computer where it can identify. So how do I reset it? The blood of Jesus is that reset button. So John chapter 6, verse 54. Jesus, this is the sermon that when he preached it, a lot of people walked away that day. Because they lacked the understanding of what he was saying. He said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Well, what's he talking about? Drinking his blood. He said, my blood is drink. My blood is drink. Well, Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 said, the life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. So have you ever heard of Jesus' obedience and had a desire in your heart, I want to obey God the way Jesus obeyed God. It's available in the blood. Drink the blood and the obedience of Jesus is in the blood. Have you ever looked at Jesus and said, I want to please the Father the way Jesus pleased. He perfectly Please the Father. It's in the blood. 
That's in the blood. His self-sacrificing nature, his, his perfect love, his willingness to do the will of the Father, his strength to put down his flesh and not yield to sin. We need that, and it's in the blood. The ability to resist sin is in the blood because the life is in the blood. Drink it. Drink it. Drink it. How do I drink it? I receive of the blood and all that the blood provides for me. I'm drinking it in. I'm receiving it. I'm receiving it. I'm receiving it. I receive the blood today. There are too many believers who haven't applied the blood prayed about the blood, received the blood, interacted with the blood at all since they got saved in the beginning because that was the only knowledge they had of how to interact with the blood. We should be yielding to the blood every day. We should be relying on the blood every day. We should be calling on the blood every Take the blood, it said in Exodus 12. Take the blood and apply it. Take the blood, and that was a shadow of what's ours. We have the, the actual blood of the lamb. They had a substitute of the blood that we have the reality of. And if they can take the blood and it protects them from the judgment that's going on around them, how much more shall the blood of Christ placed and and put into position in our life, how much more will it protect us from the judgment of what's going on around us? Hallelujah. He said, my blood is drink. Let me see how he says it in 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, 25. In the same manner, he also took the cup After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant. That's my covenant. I have a covenant. I have a covenant. You have a covenant. He said, this blood is the new covenant. It's the seal of the covenant. This blood is what makes the covenant valid in my life. This blood is what seals the covenant for me. Amen? He said, this blood, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This, I want you to do it as often as you drink it. What he said, my my blood is drink indeed. He said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Not a sad remembrance. He doesn't want you to be sad about the new covenant in his blood. He, don't, he doesn't want you to cry about what it cost him to give you this new covenant. He does want you to value it, but he wants you to do it this remembering. Notice what the next verse says. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Well, he's not dead today. But his death is my victory. His death is what won my victory. And every time I drink the drink of blood, of Jesus' blood, and we're we're, we're recognizing we're talking about a spiritual drinking, even when we recognize communion, 
and we're taking of that juice with our faith, we're, we're saying, I receive what the blood provides. I partake of the new covenant in his blood. And I am announcing Jesus died, so I'm alive. Jesus died and sealed this covenant with his blood, so I'm in covenant with God, and I am an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus, and I have the victory over death and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt me. I'm saying I'm a beneficiary of the covenant and all of its rights. Every time I drink, every time, and so what did he say? Drink often. Drink regularly. And every time you drink, and you don't have to wait. You know, we celebrate at the beginning of the month just so that we have a, not out of tradition, but out of a regular observance so that we know this is when we're celebrating the Lord's Supper. But you don't have to wait. There may be situations in your life that you need to eat of the bread and drink of the blood. And so you can sit down at your kitchen table with your husband and your wife. Get your kids out there too and say, we're going to take communion. We're going we're to receive of the new covenant in his blood. We're going to receive of the broken body that was broken for us to be made whole. Hallelujah. So notice he said, in this observance... And he was talking about communion. He was talking about communion, but he was saying there is a spiritual drinking of the blood that receives of the life that's in the blood. And receiving of that life and those benefits and that covenant position that we're placed in because of that blood is necessary for our strengthening as believers. Hallelujah. So... I'm going to give you a few things, five specific things that will help you. I'm going to give you the scriptures and then you can begin to put the scriptures in your heart and then bring them out of your mouth so that you can strengthen yourself in this application of the blood. Are you ready? Number one. I believe the blood of Jesus has made me right with God. Now, we saw that from Leviticus 17, 11 in the New Living, but I want you to use this New Testament scripture, Romans 3, 25. Now, let me read Leviticus 17, 11 from the New Living. It says, for the life of the body is in its blood. That might be a good one for you just to have as your foundation because you've got to build in your heart this faith, so that when it comes out of your mouth, your words are filled with faith in the blood. So Leviticus 17, 11 in the New Living uh, uh, Translation says, the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. I love that. The blood on the altar, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for life that makes purification possible. Purifying even of my conscience. It's the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. But let me look at Romans 3. 
for our, our declaration here, I want you to see it from the New Testament perspective. Romans 3 and verse 25. Whom God, speaking of Jesus, God has set forth Jesus to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. And that is so King James, it goes right over a lot of our heads. So I brought you New Living Translation because it helps me. Because I don't use the word propitiation ever. Unless I'm preaching and I have to read it out of the scripture. And then I will always define it. And I don't use the word forbearance hardly at all either. So New Living Translation says, God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. That helps, doesn't it? (laughs) God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Hallelujah. The God's Word translation says, God showed that Christ is the throne of mercy. He is my throne of mercy. Where God's approval is given through faith in Christ's blood. So the object of our faith is the blood. The Living Bible. For God sent Christ Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to end all God's anger against us. He used Christ's blood and our faith as the means of saving us from his wrath. He used Christ's blood and our faith. Go ahead and put the message back up there. I saw you put the message up. Let's read it too. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear the world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we would, we would say faith in his blood, wouldn't we? Because it's the blood that purifies. It's the blood that sanctifies. So without the purifying of Jesus' blood... Without him shedding it and making it available to use as a purifying agent, we would have still been in the mess we were in. But because he put his blood in a way that it can be applied to our lives to cleanse us and purify us, we can now be able to serve God acceptably as kings and priests. I mean, we've got clearance in the Holy of Holies. I mean, there were Levites who didn't get into the holy place. There were some priests that were only allowed in the holy place, but not into the holy of holies. Only one priest, the high priest, had enough sanctification, enough holiness, cleansing for him to be able to make it in. But you and I go where the high priest, Jesus Christ, has made available. He's taken down the veil that separated us from the presence of God. And he is saying, now that you're blood washed, now that you're sanctified, you have the high level of clearance into the Holy of Holies. You can come straight into the throne room of grace to receive help in time of need. So come boldly into the presence of God. 
Draw near with a true assurance and a fullness of faith in his, in his presence. So number one, I believe the blood of Jesus has made me right with God. Number two, I believe the blood of Jesus has completely washed me of all sin. So completely that I am now a king and priest unto God. Let me say it again. I believe the blood of Jesus has completely washed me of all sin. So completely that I am now a king and a priest unto God. So you can find yourself in Revelation 1, 5 and 6. It says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, his blood washed us from our sins and washed us and made us. His blood... When it washed us, and we, we, the word purged, when we read in Hebrews chapter 9, how much more shall the blood of Christ purge our conscience? The word purge, it means to, let me read the exact definition so I don't leave any part of it out. To remove by cleansing, to consecrate or dedicate. It's not just a cleansing to bring us to a normal position. It's a cleansing that sets us apart. A cleansing that consecrates us. So when the blood washes you, it consecrates you. If something is consecrated, it means it's, it's for a special purpose. It's dedicated for the purpose of God. The blood not only when the word purge includes the word to dedicate or consecrate. So the cleansing is to make you a king and a priest. A king who has dominion to exercise authority and a priest who can approach God and represent God to the people. We can come into his presence and serve him with our, our sacrifices of praise, our offerings of joy, we can serve him in our intercessions and our, our, our supplications. We can serve him and we can enter into his presence and we can also represent him. Hallelujah. Kings and priests. How did that happen? By the blood. Number three, I do not permit the shame of my past in my thought life because Jesus has forgiven me and paid the price to free me. I do not permit the shame of my past in my thought life. Because Jesus has forgiven me and paid the price to free me. Ephesians 1.7 In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So you need to say, I have the forgiveness of sin through his blood. 
I have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, so I do not permit the shame of my past in my thought life. If it comes, it's not God bringing it up to me. It's either my flesh or the enemy. It's the flesh including the carnal mind. So it's either the carnal mind or the enemy that is bringing up my past. And both of them need to be dealt with. How do I deal with them? By the blood. I apply the blood. Number four, I believe the blood of Jesus has supernatural ability to wash me so clean that I am justified in the sight of God. I'll say it again. I believe the blood of Jesus has supernatural ability to wash me so clean that I am justified in the sight of God. Romans 5, 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Justified. You will not understand justified without the scripture to help you. Without the Holy Spirit revealing justified. Because in the, in the carnal mind, we think, well, you know, but I still did that. According to justification, it's just as if I never sinned. I know that's a play on words, but that is an accurate way to describe what, what does being justified mean is that guilt is no longer anywhere on my record. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Nowhere. Amen. You can look. You can get the magnifying out, that magnifying glass out. I'm looking for my, I know I did it. I know it's got to be here somewhere. It's not there. Amen. The blood blotted it out. Blotted out my transgressions. The blood just came along. The blood is better than white out. How many of y'all, when y'all, we, we were learning how to type and we needed that white out. I mean, you got to keep a bottle of that white out. And ladies used to work in the office. We, we, they had upgraded by the time we had the, the, the strip that you could just, just take that white out and you could just kind of draw it on there. The blood of Jesus you don't even see the imprint of that sin on the paper. You don't even see any evidence that it was even there. The blood of Jesus has so purged our lives that we are justified in the sight of God. And lastly, I believe the blood of Jesus draws me into a close and intimate relationship with God so I have boldness to enter the presence of God. I believe the blood of Jesus draws me into a close and intimate relationship with God so I have boldness to enter the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 and Ephesians 2.13 are the scripture references I want you to use for this. And these, I'm going to type these up and make them available on the website and I'll post them on the social media so that you can access them again with the scripture references. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes far off are now made nigh 
by the blood of Christ. You're made near to God. You were kept at a distance, but now you're not at a distance. Now you're intimate, close with the Father. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Boldness to enter by the blood. The blood of Jesus gives us confidence in the presence of God. It gives us confidence in how we approach God. And then verse 22 of Hebrews 10 says, Let us draw near with a true heart, having our hearts sprinkled. There's the sprinkling of our heart from an evil conscience. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hallelujah. That's the relationship with God. And when you have spent time in the truth concerning the blood, the evidence is going to be found in your approach to God. When, when you believe that the blood of Jesus has justified you and cleansed you and purged your conscience, you will, you will regularly enter the presence of God. You'll come often and you'll come with courage and you'll come ready to receive from him. Not drawing back, not making excuses, not apologizing for the first 15 minutes. God, I'm so sorry. I'm such a failure. I'm such a mess. Lord, forgive me. I know I'm not perfect. No, but you'll instead, you'll come in the view of the blood. You'll come with the courage that the blood has been, been, been producing in your faith the blood and cleansing and, and making you holy in the sight of God. And you'll come and you'll say, Father, I love you so much. And I'm so thankful for who you are in my life. And I thank you I can come to you today to receive help in this situation. Amen. Why? Because you'll have boldness by the blood. Amen. And the boldness by the blood causes you to enter into his presence. Amen. Glory to God. Father, I thank you for bringing us to a greater understanding of the supernatural cleansing and empowerment that your blood brings to us. I impart into your people a desire to operate in this blood, interacting with your blood, growing in faith in your blood, strengthening themselves in the blood that is working on their behalf so that they become so confident of who they are in Christ. Father, that the blood would bring each and every person to a greater intimacy a greater operation of faith, a greater interaction with your word as they grow and, and establish themselves in the knowledge and in faith of the blood of Jesus that they become so strengthened in their relationship with you as a result of it. Father, I thank you 
for the work that you are doing in us through your blood. And I declare growth, advancement, and increase in the knowledge of the blood of Jesus over your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, yes. Thank you for the blood, Lord. Thank you for the blood. And if I could say this, we haven't even scratched the surface. It's so big in me to bring us into more, but we haven't even scratched the surface. We haven't even began to see heaven's worship is a blood-centered worship. When they sing at the throne of God, they sing about the lamb slain, how he's redeemed us out of every nation, every kindred, every tongue. What are they singing? They're singing about the blood, the victory in the blood. Hallelujah. The blood is an everlasting blood. It's an eternal blood. And the blood is alive today. It's on the altar, the real altar in heaven, the mercy seat in heaven. Holds the blood of our Savior. Hallelujah. Praise God. He's opened the way for us. A way that didn't exist over 2,022 years ago. But now there's a new and a living way. And through that blood, we can come to the creator of the universe. As our own father, we come to him. And he sees us through the blood. He doesn't see us through our past. So we, in our relationship with him, we have to come through the view he sees us with. We have to see ourselves in this blood. And let our spiritual eyes come into focus to see what God sees. Blood-washed saints. Blood-washed, holy righteous, set-apart people that God loves with all of his heart. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Let's honor him with an offering tonight. Let's offer unto God. He, it says that we can bring to the Lord an offering. Praise God. And in our honoring God with our substance... He is set apart in our estimation. Set apart in the way that we see him. Hallelujah. As we prepare to honor the Lord in our tithe and in our offering, you need an envelope. They're available in the pocket of the chair in front of you. If you would like to use the text to give code, we'll put that up on the screen for you as well. You're joining us through live stream. Buildfaith.net has a safe and secure link, or you could use the text to give code as well. Praise God. 
our privilege to enter into financial covenant with God is an entrance into the blessing. He says, when you bring the tithe into the storehouse, prove me now herewith if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive it all. Hallelujah. He also has entrusted us with the power of seed, the dominion of seed. He said, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Amen. It says that if you will sow to the Spirit, you'll of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Hallelujah. And he was talking about financial giving in that statement. When he was talking about sowing to the Spirit, he was saying that we can participate or contribute to the place that we're receiving the Scripture from or receiving the preached the, the truth preached to us from. Galatians chapter 6 is where he says it. And then he says, He that sows to the Spirit reaps of the Spirit life everlasting. Amen. So when I'm sowing into the place where I am receiving the spiritual truth and the spiritual understanding, I'm sowing to the Spirit. Hallelujah. I'm sowing to the Word going forth. I'm sowing to the Word being preached. I'm sowing into the work of the ministry. Hallelujah. And what am I going to receive? Life. Life in my finances, life in my marriage, life in my, the peace of my children, life in the different areas where I need it. Hallelujah. So as we prepare to honor the Lord tonight, if you'd like to give, stand with us to your feet. Ushers, if you'll come. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Let's come rejoicing. Glory to your name. Jesus, you're so good to us. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, for the ability to give into you.